This episode of the 3D Insights podcast is brought to you by Tokyo Electron. As a leading manufacturer of innovative semiconductor and flat panel display production equipment, TEL believes its employees are central to its success. That's why TEL is committed to employing people with diverse cultures, backgrounds, and values. The company has offices and manufacturing locations in 12 countries around the world. To see if TEL is a good fit for you, check out their careers page at tell.com slash careers. Hi there, I'm Francoise Von Trapp, and this is the 3D Insights Podcast. Hi, everyone. This week, we are recording from Semi-ISS, where industry leaders have gathered to discuss the key issues facing the semiconductor industry and set their goals for the next year and beyond. Yesterday, market analysts presented their 2022 projections, and three of them are here with me today to discuss some of this. I'm sitting with Jan Fardeman of Tech Search International, Andrea Lotti of Tech Insights, and Bob Johnson of Gartner. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Mm-hmm. Hi. Um, and ladies. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> As we get started, can you just each introduce yourself and share a little bit about your, like, like, like the three key takeaways from your talks yesterday? Jan, we'll start with you. Hi. Yes. Well, I mean, we're focused on advanced packaging. And there's a lot of talk, obviously, about semiconductors here, but without an advanced package, without a package, you can't ship a semiconductor. So there's some critical areas that need some attention in our industry. One of those is the uh, build-up substrate, the laminate build-up substrate, because no matter what advanced packaging, high-end, high-performance packaging option we're talking about, they all have a build-up substrate to form the package. And... Basically, what I said in my talk is that last year was really tough. This year is worse. Next year is a train wreck. So we're going to have to figure out how do we handle this. Right. And the driver, the, the problem, the problem child here is the fact that we're making larger and larger substrates to support these high performance options with higher layer counts, which reduces the yield. And so we have this existing capacity. We can't add any more capacity any faster than we already are because it takes two years to get the facilities up and running because the equipment lead times are fairly long. So, you know, eventually by 2026, we might have plenty of capacity. Uh, and you're talking about advanced packaging capacity. Advanced substrate capacity. Substrate, substrate, substrate capacity, capacity, okay. Yeah, the, the, the semiconductor guys are obviously going to overshoot the mark. So... Uh, you know, but there, there's going to be probably more capacity in that than you need if they're able to put all these things in place. But they suffer from lead time issues as well on equipment. Okay, we're going to circle back to some of this. Bob? Yeah, well, my name is Bob Johnson, and I'm part of the Gartner Semiconductor and Electronics team. I've been at Gartner for a little over 20 years, and I've been part of the equipment industry for a little over 40 years, including the time at Gartner. Uh, what I was looking at was this whole concept that seems to be floating around the industry that we're going to be a trillion dollars in semiconductor revenue by 2030, and whether it's a little bit uh, over-optimistic, shall we say. And I think my basic conclusion is we're going to get there, but probably it's going to be a few years later than Mm -hmm. 2030. But in any case, to do it are a lot of huge challenges, not the least of which is we're basically doubling the size of the industry in the next decade. And that means growing more than we've grown since, you know, Day one, 
you know, back, what, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, huge amounts of resources are going to have to be found in terms of just people, land, money, investment, et cetera, to, to make this whole thing happen. And that's something that presents the, some of the major challenges for the industry. I actually see the technology of semiconductors as being of secondary importance. It's all right. these other issues that are the most important things facing us. Okay. And we are going to come back to more topics mm -hmm. around this as well. And Andrea? Yeah. Uh, my name is Andrea Alati. I'm the director of research at Tech Insights, previously VLSI Research. Uh, been there for the last 20 years, so gone through many cycles with Bob. <laughs> Some of them have been pretty big. Uh, but uh, my point in the, in the presentation, there were two things. Basically, on the equipment side, you know, we're seeing very long lead times. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, backlog at all-time highs. So the only thing really restricting equipment growth is really all these supply uh, constraints and also these shortages that finally caught up with the equipment market last year, especially in the second half of the year. So we're very optimistic about the equipment market this year, predicting a 20% growth. And again, that's the only thing that can, uh, can really... Uh, for, for that forecast not to, to hit that mark, it's really if these you know, constraints remain with the equipment suppliers for, you know, for much longer than what we expect. So, uh, and then the other point that I was trying to make in the presentation was really you know, 2030 has been you know, that $1 trillion number that you know, may happen sooner, may happen later. I mean, we don't know because it's a, it's a forecast. But what I was trying to focus was really you know, all the structural changes that have happened in the industry, mm -hmm. right? If we look at uh, the data economy, AI, which I think is probably being undermodeled on the impact that it's going to have on the same industry and also the economy. And then on the structural side of the industry, you know, the consolidation, the slowing of Moore's law, that basically should increase, you know, the, the revenue growth or the average growth rate that we've seen, you know, probably in the high single digits in, the, in uh, this decade. So I'm, I'm tr I was trying to look at more of the long term than, you know, whatever the face, uh, headwinds that we're facing right, right. now. So. Well, it's, it's really hard to predict what's happening right now, right? Because things are so, it, with the war in Ukraine, things are really still changing. Yeah. You know, we don't know what the impact is going to be. I see sales are up, mm -hmm. but... Basically, what about the rest of the ecosystem that we need to create the systems out of the ICs? Are the projections based more on demand versus actual orders? I mean, how do you gauge the growth numbers when you know that there's all these headwinds? And, and how, how much will the headwinds really impact reaching them? Well, you know, that, that's a very interesting question because you have a lot of things happening right now that... <clears throat> tend to put increase the, the magnitude of these headwinds. I mean, everybody's attention, of course, is focused on a war in Ukraine. But let's look a little bit closer at things like inflation, mm -hmm. costs going up. We also have people coming out of the COVID restrictions. And so a lot of consumers are going to be directing their spending away from electronics mm -hmm. and to doing things like going on vacations, mm -hmm. visiting people, going out to dinner, entertainment, things like that that they just weren't able to do for the last few years. So we have to look at how that might affect eventual demand patterns. We also have the industry recovering from a period of very low inventories, building up inventories, trying to work its way through the shortages, and it has a habit of overshooting. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a lot of new fab capacity coming online that increases the supply of semiconductors, which again, 
can lead to oversupply, reduction in prices, and everything else. So there's a lot more uncertainty facing us right now than we had even a couple years ago. So despite all of these positive growth projections, we really should be paying more attention to the headwinds and not getting super excited about achieving, you know, if we get to what you call a terabuck, which I love, <laughs> um, by 2030, I worry about setting people up for failure. Like they think this is what we have to achieve. And if we don't achieve it, we're not moving the industry forward. But I think that even if we got halfway there, we're st- it's, still a, it's still growth. Well, the industry is moving forward. The technology is moving forward. Nothing's going to stop that. Right. And, and it's the question of do we get too optimistic and then get blindsided if we have a correction or we start thinking, you know, there's a correction out in the horizon someplace, we should prepare for it. And that means then you allocate your resources appropriately to make it through because everybody in this industry has been through multiple corrections. They know how to do it. It's not going to be the end of the world. Right. And then we'll keep going forward. And in terms of this mythical terabuck level, you know, that's going to happen. It's just a question of when. When. Okay. So it's basically we're setting a goal, an aspiration. It's really an aspiration. But not only that, you also have to plan to get there. Right. Because you have to have all these infrastructure to support to get there. You know, because, yeah, trillion dollars seems fine, but it's like, do you have all the resources and capacity and people and people to achieve that. Right. So that's why you have to have that goal that way everybody aligns, right? Otherwise, it's just a number that maybe you'll not catch if people are not aligned to that common goal. Okay. Now, Jan, I know you have a lot of thoughts around this, especially on the packaging side. Um, We've got fab expansion, but do we have OSAT expansion to support that? We have some OSAT expansion. We have, uh, we're looking currently to see where everybody's plans are for 2022 and their um, CapEx budgets. Um, there's certainly a, a lot of expansion. I mean, you've heard that uh, companies like Amcor has just announced that they're going to put in a facility, an assembly facility in Vietnam um, to support some of their product. Um, there's expansions going on in most everybody else. The foundries like TSMC will expand their, their CapEx for packaging will continue. So you're seeing that continue. Um, you know, I worry about the demand side, though, mm-hmm. some of the things like the, um, the lockdowns in China curtailing spending. I worry about some of the spending here in the U.S. I certainly don't expect it to continue for electronics at the same level it did last year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that needs to be reflected. I, I actually don't think all those fabs are going to be put in at the time that mm-hmm. people think they are because I think the lead times, it's not just equipment, the lead times on the whole infrastructure to build it's going to take a while. I don't but, know if anybody's gone to Home Depot and tried to buy anything, but... You, yeah, yeah. And and the prices are going up on the, on yes. the materials that are available. Yes. And, you know, with the equipment, you talk about the chips. They're, they have the chip shortage impacting equipment suppliers, so they can't build the tools because they don't have the chips to build the tools to make the chips. It's a vicious circle. <laughs> yes. You know, and that's, that's kind of a, a scary place to be. And, and so... You know, we talk about fabs coming online in 24 months, but if they don't have the tools, if they don't have the workforce, they are not going to be able to come online, and it's going to keep pushing things out. So, Well, the shells will be there. It's right. just a matter of bringing the equipment around. Right. Well, the right. shells may or may not be there because of the construction issues with getting materials for that. So there's even those kind of problems to think about. So, I mean... You know, things have a way of working themselves out. So we may have, you know, we, we will have longer lead times for probably construction. We'll have longer lead times for equipment. So some of that fab capacity might not come on quite as early as people expect. 
and maybe that'll help us match up with a slower demand and a, uh, some of the other back-end problems that we need to address. But, you know, the industry's full of smart people. Right. People usually figure a way around these things. Right. You just have to be aware that they're happening. Yeah, I've always been amazed, actually, at the ability of equipment companies to ship, because that was one of our questions earlier on, is that, you know, yeah, the numbers are great, the demand is there, can they ship? Right. And they've always found ways. I mean, of course, it's more difficult now with the pandemic, right, mm-hmm. all the shutdowns, but it's, it's really remarkable how resourceful they are to, you know. Do you think building um, self-sufficient supply chains in, in specific regions, Europe's trying to do it, U.S. is trying to do it. Is that part of the solution or is that, I mean, we talk a lot about collaboration in this industry and if we start doing that, how is that going to impact the need for collaboration and the ability to collaborate? You know, I think longer term, we, we have to learn from this experience with COVID and the disruption of the supply chains to build. It may not be all regional supply chains, but at least redundant supply chains mm-hmm. with alternate sources of supply and alternate trade routes. You know, for example, you can't run everything heavy through the port of Los Angeles and expect a quick turnaround. It just doesn't happen. So you have to figure out other ways to get the materials that you need where you have to get them at the right time. You know, the other thing I think is that the industry really over its history has kind of an established long-term growth rate that it that it runs, and that's about 6% a year. And that's an average. Sometimes it goes over that. Sometimes it goes under it. It cycles it. But that also includes the ability to expand, to bring in new resources, to build new fabs, to do all the things that it has to do. And that's sort of any time we try to go above that for an extended period of time, we have trouble. Mm-hmm. And it corrects. Right. And that's what we're looking at right now. We're above the curve right now. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be aware that there's a correction out there. Okay. And what, so what about, um, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the CHIPS Act and the onshoring and what really needs, what's, what do you think is the best allocation of the $52 billion? I know, I know you have opinions about this, Jim. Little bit more into packaging. Yes. Yeah. Folks are a little bit negligent on the back end side of things and they need to understand how this whole ecosystem works and how you have to have a competitive ecosystem. You know, the European Chips Act is I, I saw the other day now they've added I think thirteen billion onto an already thirty billion, which isn't a whole lot when you considering. But they're allocating between STEM education, R&D, and workforce, which... Those are the appropriate step, actually. Those are. I'm going to be a total heretic. I don't think any of that money should go to the companies that are building the FABs because they figured out how to build it, get the financing for the FABs to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, we need education. We need to get STEM programs down starting at the elementary level to get kids excited in science. You know, we, we need that at a global basis. You know, we have to look at some of the supply chains. We have to f- fund up the research areas and things like packaging and mm-hmm. things like, you know, fundamental semiconductor research, university programs, those kind of things that are not necessarily funded by industry. And those are essential if we want to hit this terabuck target or yeah. even beyond yeah. that. You know, I mean... I'll be honest, TSMC can raise the money for its fab, so can Samsung, so can Intel. It's been doing it for years. And this extra money from the government, of course, they're going to go after it. 
but it's not going to have any effect on the schedule at which they build their fabs. I'll be a total heretic in that, in that sense. I don't think you're being a heretic. I think you're being straightforward and honest. Well, thank <laughs> which you. Which is what we need, <laughs> you know, and that's what I'm looking for. I think... Um, I agree with you. I don't know how if that's going to happen. You know, the lobbyists are, you know, they lobby for the funds. Um, it doesn't seem to me to make sense to give the, um, the, the money to the companies that are already increased their profits by 20, 30%. Let's talk about that for a second. Intel. Um, it was not on any, it was on the Omdia slide. Intel's still in first place in terms of revenue. But while well, everyone jumped like 20 to 30%, I don't think Intel's... Intel's not first place in terms of revenue. Well, it, it showed that on the slide I had. may have showed on that had, slide, it was, but that's they not only grew, They only grew 0.4%. Well, everybody else grew 20 to 30%. Why is that? Well, there, if you look at their sales for this year, there were a couple of things. And I don't know what you're counting there because uh, they're divesting their NAND business, first of all. So I don't know if mm-hmm. the number is included in sales. But again, um, I think their main struggle was, you know, if you look at... Uh, the sales by segment, the data center didn't grow as fast, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was really their weakness because, again, they couldn't ship uh, as much as they wanted uh, because of, you know, all those constraints that they had in their own uh, supply chain and our fabs. But if you just look at their overall sales, really the data center was sort of the, you know, one of the weak spots as far as, you know, their uh, segment sales. I hear they're ringing the bells to call us back in, so I have one last Intel-related question, and then we can wrap this up, but I'd love to... We could continue this conversation another time. Um, What do you think... When do you think we'll see the impact of Intel's IDM 2.0? A couple, three, four years. I mean, they have to build the fabs. They have to get the processes out. They have to implement them. They have to implement their foundry strategy, which has got a lot of questions as to how you know how that's going to work that we'll see over time you know i mean it's it's easy to come out with a new strategy emphasis and to publish a roadmap and everything but i think as we've learned from presentations here actually pulling it off mm-hmm. takes time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so you know people say, oh well intel's going to do this we got to see it instantaneously no it doesn't work that way it's going to take years to, to see the results which is why fab expansion is not solving the current chip shortage of course <laughs> so anyway any last words before we wrap it up you know the labor shortage is global Every country is dealing with a labor shortage problem. And one of the things we have to do is I think we need to get more women into the, the business, our business. One of the things that we have to do in the U.S. is figure out a better child care system because a lot of women have to stay home and take care of kids. Mm-hmm. And so we've really got a lot of work to do that's non-tech related mm-hmm. to solve some of these issues. Um, I've talked to uh, some of the people, leaders in Taiwan about, you know, their workforce is also is, is a male-dominated workforce and they could have more women in their workforce. So we've got to think outside the box to get this workforce problem solved. Yeah, I, I agree with Jen, too. Actually, it's all about people yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. And even when you talk about the Chips Act and everything, you know, you have to look at, you know, how can you expand um, pretty much all the labor force? Because at the end of the day, we have competition for mm-hmm. all the, you know, from all the cloud companies. Everybody wants to go and work for Apple and Google. Right. So at the end of the day, it's how can we attract more talent? Mm-hmm. To make- and the young people yeah. are really 
um, sustainability is important, not just because we need to save the planet, but also because the younger generation is much more attuned to sustainable, making a difference, making the world a better place. And even if they go into STEM careers, when they come out, they're not necessarily going to go into the semiconductor industry. They're looking at other industries where they can make a difference through sustainable, using their science and sustainable And what they need to realize is that the semiconductors and and electronics technology is the driver that makes all this stuff possible. Mm -hmm. And that that if you don't have it, you're not going to achieve your sustainability goals. It's as simple as that. This is true. It's a a double-edged sword because we're also a large contributor to the footprint, which is a completely different topic for another day. But thank you all for joining me today. This was fun. Thank you. um, you. I'll let you know when it lands. And um, I will put links to your profiles and LinkedIn in our show notes, if that's okay. Great. Thank you. Take care. There's lots more to come, so tune in next time to the 3D Insights Podcast. The 3D Insights Podcast is a production of 3D Insights, LLC.